listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 11th of October 2021. Uh, Later, petrol prices on the rise as global oil prices hit a seven-year high. But first to the reopening economy. And the Treasurer says for every week, both the New South Wales and Victorian economies were in lockdown. It cost around $2 billion. So with New South Wales now opening up, what now? For more, I spoke earlier with Chris Richardson. He's a chief economist at Deloitte Access Economics. Chris, firstly, how important is Sydney and New South Wales to the national economy? Uh, they are the biggest things in Australia's economy. Sydney by itself, a quarter of the Australian economy. New South Wales is one third. So this is still a staggered opening. How do you see it trickling through to the national economy? And I guess more importantly, how will you measure its success? Um, you'll see it in a couple of ways. I mean, you know, already it's uh, cafes, restaurants and the rest of it. But as you say, they're only partly open uh, and it's going to take time. And this will be a pretty rapid recovery, but maybe not as rapid uh, as we saw the first time around. Um, some bumps, you know, it won't be COVID free. It'll be living with the virus uh, that will present some challenges along the way. Is there a threat, though, that the rebound won't be as strong as the previous time? And and what will that mean for growth? Um, Look, it may not be quite as strong. There are some advantages, you know, most notably the hole we're in today might be deep, but it's not as deep as we're in sort of April and and May last year. Uh, And and you saw how beautifully we bounced back uh, from that. We won't be going back to to COVID-free. We will be going back to living with the virus. The advantage, though, is that COVID-free might be precious, but it's fragile, you know, and especially with something as infectious as Delta, it can kick down the door um, pretty fast. So where we're headed uh, is essentially a more reliable recovery. It may be just that little bit uh, slower. And when we talk about growth in the economy and what will contribute to it, often we're talking about, you know, the commodity plays. Um, you know, will this will we see a bounce in retail sales? How do you see that growth and the, the biggest influence to it? Uh, there is only one indicator to watch uh, for the Australian economy. One, uh, vaccination rates. Uh, you know, that will give you your, your best indicator of what comes next in jobs, uh, in wages, in the ability to get a haircut, uh, and indeed in hospitalisations. Uh, basically, the, the answer is not 80% or 70% or 90%. The answer is more is better. Uh, the more vaccinations we can get, the stronger the economy will be. And our, our leading indicator for the world economy, where the world economy is in a couple of years from now, is also vaccination rates, but it's vaccination rates in Africa where first dose is, is not yet 10%. Uh, basically, the global economy is in a struggle between vaccinations and mutations. Uh, and vaccinations are winning, but they're only going to win if they are universal, not just in rich countries like ours. And based on numbers, right, that more figure, are you optimistic that we are reaching a good level of more? Australia has done very, very well uh, the last five or six weeks of vaccinations. It differs uh, in some you know, parts of Australia. If, if you're looking at the ACT, truly remarkable rates of vaccination. If you're asking which bit of Australia 
uh, is going to be able to be the most like it was uh, in February 2020? The answer is going to be Canberra, basically uh, off the back of its vaccination rates. Broadly, around the nation, though, we are starting to do really, really well. Um, but it's going to be tricky. You, you look at, say, Singapore versus Denmark, you know, both with magnificent rates of vaccination and vaccination rates that Australia is headed towards. Um, but Singapore has been a bit like Australia, you know, been very successful against COVID and very worried when there are case numbers. And, and will Australians, uh, you know, learn to worry less about case numbers and more about things like hospitalisations, uh, you know, the, the true danger, uh, if you like. Uh, and, um, you know, Singapore struggled a bit around that transition. Other places around the world, you know, the Denmarks and Germanys are perhaps so far handling it a bit better. Chris Richardson there from Deloitte Access Economics. So what does all of that and the reopening of the New South Wales economy mean for the markets? Today, the ASX 200 fell 0.3% to 7,299. Technology stocks hit the most. For more, I spoke earlier with Matt Sherwood from Perpetual. Matt, restrictions have eased in Sydney. Have things changed for you? Uh, hey, Ricardo. Well, not greatly. I'm sitting in front of the same seat, uh, watching, uh, using the same computer and drinking the same coffee. So uh, we've all looked forward to Freedom Day, but quite honestly, not much has changed. What do you think it all means for the, for the market and for the outlook? Look, for the markets, probably not a lot. Um, it's been well telegraphed and whether it was a week earlier or a week late probably doesn't really uh, make that much difference uh, to the recovery. Uh, we're expecting a pretty big growth decline in the September quarter of about 3.5%. Uh, but next year, we're thinking, um, you know, the economy should grow about 4.5%. So it's going to be a very good recovery. Won't be quite as amazing as it was in, uh, in 2020. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of pent-up demand and a lot of household savings, so that will be used. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a positive for the markets and for earnings, uh, but the market's been challenged on several fronts, so um, it may not quite get a clear line of sight of that in the next couple of months. How about we talk about then some of those global issues that may influence the market? First of all, inflation or stagflation, right? Well, what's your view and what, what are central banks going to do? Well, you know, the equity market outlook has soured a bit lately as inflation has been rising and growth has been declining, but stagflation is probably too strong a word for the current dynamics. Um, the last stagflation environment was the 1970s. That was uh, characterised by rising unemployment, double-digit inflation, record bond yields, record high bond yields and record low equity market valuations. And of course, we've got none of that nowadays. You know, So uh, we tend to think it's going to be a pretty challenging environment, particularly for central banks. You know, Do they cut rates to support the economy? Do they hike rates to, uh, uh, to clamp down on inflation? Um, Probably they do neither, uh, but they are withdrawing their emergency accommodation. Uh, but we still think rate hikes in the next 12 months outside of the UK um, are, are pretty unlikely. So we think they're more likely to be a 2023 story. That withdrawal of emergency settings, we had that US jobs report over the weekend. Is it enough to continue to support a, a tapering of economic stimulus there? 
I would say it wasn't bad enough to actually have the Fed balk um, at, uh, at their previous guidance, which was it'd take a pretty bad payroll report uh, for them to delay a uh, announcement in November. Look, overall, the report was a bit mixed. The headline payrolls miss was a pretty bad one, uh, but there were other good signs in there of strong wages growth, a longer work week, and most importantly, a 17-month low in US unemployment. So uh, to me, that's good enough uh, for the Fed to uh, uh, carry through on its guidance that they're going to make a tapering announcement in November. So putting all of that together, particularly the inflationary environment, the pullback of economic stimulus, you know, uh, commodity prices, how, how do you invest in this type of environment? Yeah, I think it's a pretty challenging environment because growth slowing and interest rates are rising. So for the last 40 years, we've pretty much had the complete opposite. So, you know, I, I tend to think the key question for investors is how do you play a good defensive game? Bonds isn't going to diversify equity risk like it has done so in the past. So investors are likely to need to find new diversifiers. Um, and within their equity exposure itself, you know, they could lessen that a little bit, uh, but also within it, looking for firms with very good operating models, dominant market positions, manageable cost structures, uh, and, and probably one which uh, has pricing power. Uh, that's really those sort of quality business with strong balance sheets, you know, who are positive cash flow generators, I tend to think they will um, you know, perform well through this environment. I tend to think the recent fly-by-nighters uh, are really going to struggle, uh, particularly with higher interest rates. So you know, their, their better days may have been seen this cycle. So I think a flight to quality in terms of equity uh, um, assets um, is certainly, like, uh, certainly likely to be pursued in the next couple of months and really in the next few years. Matt Sherwood there from Perpetual. Now, the other market variable at the moment is the oil price. Brent crude hit a seven-year high overnight. That will have implications for the petrol price locally. For more, I spoke earlier with Ryan Felsman from Comsec. Ryan, the oil price is at a multi-year high. Why? We've got the reopening of the world economy at the moment, and we're seeing a pickup in demand for crude on the back of that. Of course, we've seen supply constrained by OPEC and its allies such as Russia, and we have seen a slow pickup in oil production on the back of their agreement to keep that production level quite stable. And certainly at the same time, we're seeing an energy crisis play out in Asia and also Europe at the moment. So very strong demand for natural gas in particular. And as we approach the Northern Hemisphere winter, what we are seeing is those denuded stockpiles of natural gas really leading to a lift in natural gas prices to record highs last week in Europe. We have seen Russia since come in and say that they're going to provide more supply. That's led to an easing of those natural gas prices. But what it means though, is that countries are looking for alternatives to those more expensive sources of energy, such as natural gas and also coal. And crude oil is one of the factors or one of the sources they're looking for. And that's leading to a lift in demand for crude oil prices at the same time. What does this mean for petrol prices in Australia just as restrictions begin to ease in some of our biggest cities? Well, what we've seen more recently is we have seen the retail unleaded petrol price in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane hit record highs over the course of the last couple of months. And that's really on the back of the fact that Australia is a net importer of refined petroleum. And we did see the benchmark petroleum price or gasoline price 
hit seven-year highs in US dollar terms and three-year highs in Aussie dollar terms last week. And of course, with those prices lifting, we are seeing, of course, the cost of importation of refined product lift. And therefore, then that's reflected in those pump prices at the Bowser within a fortnight of those prices lifting. So at the moment, across Australia, we're seeing the average unleaded retail petrol price at around $1.53 a litre. And certainly what we're seeing in Sydney at the moment is an average price of $1.60 a litre. In fact, in some beachside suburbs in Sydney today, we're seeing the unleaded petrol price hit levels of around 181.9 cents a litre in places like Manly and Bondi and also Neutral Bay. We have seen slightly lower prices in Sydney's western suburbs, but of course it's Freedom Day today. It's coinciding with a price hike and certainly that's not good news for consumers getting back on the road. And from a global point of view, with prices surging, yet there seems to be a greater focus on green energy. What's the future for the resource as climate change talks in November start? Well, certainly it's an interesting time. So we've got the Glasgow Climate Change Summit in November and the key focus there, of course, will be reducing emissions by 2030 in particular, but a net zero focus by 2050. And of course, the demand for fossil fuels that we've seen in the post-pandemic or at least the, the improving pandemic world is certainly leading to, in terms of greater economic activity, stronger demand for fossil fuels on the back of supply disruptions in crude oil and certainly natural gas and coal at the same time. So this demand is certainly going to make it more difficult to have those discussions next month. And of course, uh, really the focus going forward perhaps will be on renewable energy, which Australia should play an important part of. Uh, we have a lot of certainly those renewables, lithium, cobalt, copper, those late cycle commodities in particular, they will drive electric vehicle production. And of course, wind and solar, certainly Australia has plenty of that too. Brian Felsman there from Comsec. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 